I am thankful, says Paul, to the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, we must always give thanks to God for you. We must. Brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and your love of everyone for you and one another is increasing. I am thankful. Uh, November is th- month, month of Thanksgiving, right? Um, I am sure if you're like most families, you're planning and thinking through um, where you're going to go and what you might have to bring and uh, what relative you might have to put up with. For Probably not. No, you're probably not going to be worried about that so much. But um, Thanksgiving is this holiday, this national holiday is just right around the corner. I am thankful. This letter is in some ways a thank you note. A thank you note to this uh, congregation that's doing well, has some problems, but it's also doing well because the faith is increasing, the love is increasing. And Paul says, I owe you a debt of gratitude. We who are parents... Um, try so hard to make sure our kids are grateful. And some of you probably have said what I said to Tripp and Susanna when they were young, trying to teach them sort of this habit of gratitude, right? What do you say, Susanna? What do you say, Tripp? Thank you, right? And maybe some of you remember your parents doing that for you. It would be the most mortifying thing in the world to know that your kids are, um, are not grateful for the things that people have done uh, for them. And yet there's one part of it is, hey, say your thanks, be thankful, say thank, say thank you. It's another thing to witness your child when you know they're bursting with gratitude. You don't have to tell them to say thank you. It's... Um, it's amazing. I think of Jesus when he healed the ten lepers. You remember the story? And only nine, well, only one of the ten come back to him and say thank you. Is that because Jesus was so worried about being thanked? I don't think so. I think there's, there's power. There's an amazing gift to gratitude. And he loved seeing it in the person. In fact, that was the opening to life for the one leper that came back and said, I just want to thank you before I go to the priest. Thank you. Um, Thessalonians is a thank you note from Paul. Gratitude is at the very heart of the Christian life. Maya Angelou said this, If you must look back, do so forgivingly. If you must look forward, do so prayerfully. But the wisest course would be to be present gratefully. Brene Brown says this, Gratitude isn't about passive reflection. It's not about being thankful for things that have already occurred and thus can't be changed. It's about ensuring the benefits of what comes next. You see, gratitude is like the, what, what, what our choir is saying. It's, it's a mixture of joy and, convi- and, uh, joy and contentment, rejoicing. It's taking the good from the things, seeing the good and what's coming your way. 
and knowing who to thank. And it, it creates an upward spiral. You know, I found that when the world is falling apart, sometimes gratitude is the first thing that we should, that we should reach for to, to get ourselves and our lives back together. It's hard to complain and be grateful. It's hard to be cynical and be grateful. So grateful is powerful. It's an upward spiral. I give thanks to you. I give thanks, says Paul, because the church is a community of thanksgiving, offering gratitude to God, not just to anybody, but to God. So gratitude is an emotion. Um, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the gratitude of the people in our lives or things that happen, but it's also a practice. We practice gratitude. It's that practice. It's, it's an attitude that's a way of thinking, but a practice is a way of doing and trying and failing and trying again. The practice of gratitude. How well do you practice gratitude? When we practice gratitude, it reflects our deep appreciation for what we value, what brings meaning to our lives, and what makes us feel connected to ourselves and others. Gratitude is good for us. You know this already. Research shows that practicing gratitude improves our physical, emotional, and mental health. It increases our sleep patterns if we remember what we're, uh, what, how we've been blessed, our creativity. It decreases our sense of entitlement. It helps our healthy decision-making skills, especially in times of stress. And it lowers our blood pressure. So, I mean, it, that alone is good for you, right? When in a state of gratitude, we appreciate the value of something and, and it helps us to remember. I saw on social media this, and, and, and I think it's a good, it's, um, there's one thing, good thing about social media, and here it is. Remember the day you prayed for the things you have now. Remember the day you pray for the things you have now. Be grateful. Be grateful. Say thank you, says Paul. It's both an, an emotion and a practice, right? Is Paul's letter to the Thessal, uh, Thessalonians, you know, it, if that's all we knew, and if all I did was talk about be thankful and be grateful, it, that'd be okay, but that would treat this letter like it was some big infomercial, to, and it's not. It's not. That's not all there is to his letter. and I don't want that all there to be to my sermon, although it's good advice. Just be grateful. No, there's more to it than that. Did you notice when Case read Scripture that he skipped over a few verses? Y'all notice that? So everything sounds nice and rosy and beautiful. Now, sometimes the lectionary does that. I usually preach from the lectionary. Sometimes the lectionary skips over something. But I was told by my, by my seminary professors, always look at what they skipped over. So here's what, here's what was skipped over um, in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God and is intended to make you worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. For it is indeed just of God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to give relief to the afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who... Do you see why they skipped this part? Right? That's like the uncomfortable part. Right? You see, 
the letter of Thessalonica, this, this, uh, this church, if you broke it down, this short letter, it would be greetings, give thanks, and then right in the heart of it is literature called the apocalypse. Y'all ever heard of that literature? That's like the scary stuff in the Bible that we don't read a whole lot. It's the battle between good and evil. Apocalypse also has a lot of anger <laughs> um, because uh, at evildoers or at chaos in the world. And there is a lot of this apocalypse, this falling apart of the world. Apocalypse is Greek for revealing. The book of Revelations is really a book of revealing. Um, apocalypse isn't just doom and gloom so much as it is a revealing. Yes, bad things are happening in the world. Yes, things are tough. But you know, there's a deeper meaning to it all. That would be apocalypse, right? And so Paul isn't just saying, don't worry, be happy. Paul's not writing to them like they just came from some retreat on the meaning of gratitude. Paul is reminding them, I'm so grateful for you because your love is increasing and your faith is increasing even as the world is falling apart. Now, sometimes all this apocalyptic literature uh, can be scary and for good reason, right? Some of you who are a little bit older than me might have had to read The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody read that one? Yeah, yeah. Now, those... Around my age, what did we read? Left behind, right? Be scared, you know. Don't be the one. I, re I remember I was camping out one time at the Home of Chitter River, 1983. 13-year-old. We're camping there, having a great time, listening to music. And somebody told me that in 1988, the world was going to end. That really ruined my camp out experience. I'm, I'm going to barely graduate before the world catches on fire. And I don't like that, right? Well, sometimes that's what people do with the apocalyptic literature. It's like, be very, very afraid. But that's not what apocalyptic literature is about. It's be grateful. Because even when the world turns sideways and everything is falling apart, there is one, Jesus Christ, who is stitching it back together and you as well. And the literature was really meant to cheer people up and to go, be grateful. Because even against the dark backdrop of everything falling apart, you're doing fine. We, we have such strange ideas about the end of it all, the purpose behind it all. And I know you've been taught a lot of different things. Uh, you know, good Methodists don't talk about that a whole lot when... when my mom had three kids under five, and she finally got to go to New Orleans with a bunch of her girlfriends to get away. I don't know, they hired some babysitter to keep me and Liz and Caddy. They were driving into New Orleans, finally getting away and, 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 and just able to kick back and have fun with their friends. And they ran into a guy on the, on the sidewalk there in New Orleans, and he says, Jesus is coming soon. And my mom said to her friends, oh, Lord, just please wait till Monday to come back. Can I just have a little bit of, right? Well, what is it about this stuff, right, that we struggle with? And, of course, the Bible's not some crystal ball. 
When Jesus talks about it or when Paul or any other parts of the scripture talk about, quote, the end of the world, they're talking about the end of tears and death and suffering and crime and disease and everything that rips us apart, God is bringing back. Be grateful. Be grateful. Don't skip this bad stuff because you know what? Every generation, every generation thought the world was coming to an end on their watch. We look around and see politics and the world and what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine and we think, Lord, is this it? You know, 50 years ago, they were thinking the same thing. Vietnam War. What's going, you know, uh, Nixon resigning. Um, protests in the streets. Is this the time? In the early 40s. The Holocaust. World War II. This is surely the end of the world. No. Before that, World War I. What about the Civil War? Can you imagine going through the Civil War where one American was taking up arms against another and killing each other? 500,000 people die in the battlefield? Lord, come quickly. No wonder most of the end of the world hymns that were written were written about the time of the Civil War. But Paul says this, be Grateful. Paul says, I must be grateful to God for you. I must. The Greek word there is ophilo. It's I'm obligated to be grateful for you and your faith and your love. You see, the churches back then in the first century lived out of a debt of obligation. Everybody owed somebody. Everybody was a patron to somebody else all the way up the ladder until where did it stop? Caesar. Caesar was Lord and Savior, the Prince of Peace, and you better bow down to him, and nobody owes Caesar. So when Paul says, I give thanks, I give thanks, what they might have thought was coming was, I give thanks to Caesar. But Paul says, I give thanks to God for you. Hey, that was a hot letter. It was a seditious letter. Because gratitude goes to God. Not another human. I don't care how powerful somebody is. Our gratitudes go up to God, not Caesar. There were laws that were made against ingratitude. If you were not grateful for the person in front of you, you could be put in jail, fined, or even killed. So pay homage to the system and make sure you get your gratitude right. And Paul says, uh-uh. We give thanks to God. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Savior, Jesus. And then he says it is right and worthy. Worthy. This is right and worthy thing to do. The Greek word there is axios. It's where we get axis, the balance, right? It's a term of weights and measurements. You know, people bring in all this great stuff to the thrift store. And uh, somebody brought a scale with them, a beautiful scale. And... You know, there's some perks to working at um, St. Luke's. You get the first pick of the litter. You know, somebody comes in something, you make a donation, grab it, and it's in my office. It's this beautiful scale. Because you see, worth or worthy is a term of weights and measurements. It's, it's 
to balance out. We will weigh in on the side of God's reign. Our gratitude will be put on the side of Jesus because that's where our blessings come from. We're going to have to choose a side. And the side we choose is grace and love growing. Side of faith, trust, and love. That's what grows in a faith community that knows how to give thanks to practice gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Trust is having the courage to put your chips on the side, on the Jesus side of that axis, on the grace side. Courage is having that agape and that sacred love that sort of messes up the balance of the world because we all owe each other, right? You ever been given something and they said no strings attached and you really struggled by not doing something nice in return? You want to balance the scales. We can't balance the scales of God. We can never outgive God or outrespond to God. And so God says, let your love increase. Let your love increase. This is what gives us the courage to do the right thing. The balance of our hearts toward love, agape, then the actions will follow. You see, courage, is a, is, it comes from a French term. It's, it's an equestrian term. And those of you who ride horses, it's the, the, the heart is right there in the front of the horse. And when the horse has the courage to get his heart over the fence, the rest will follow. And the balance will go in that way. The heart goes over the fence. The rest of the body follows. The shift, the shift on the axis of faith and love is more powerful than any other axis. Love is what is the most powerful thing of all. God's love. So they told me, my parents did, to say thank you. But when my heart was strangely warmed and I knew that God loved me no matter what and would never leave me, that's when I said thank you and that's when I meant it. We as a community are committed to the practice of gratitude for everything. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that I have a job. I'm grateful that I have a calling in life. I'm grateful that I have people who love me. I'm grateful even when problems come my way, and they do, that God always provides me a way through. So like our practice is gratitude. Maybe if gratitude is rusty and you hadn't thought about it and you're not necessarily practicing gratitude, but you're always on the passive side, maybe this week, start your little gratitude journal, just a little scratch pad. At the end of the day, write four or five things for which you're thankful and see what happens to your life. Because when we, when we pick them out one by one, our gratitudes, guess what? We see more. We train our eyes and our hearts to move in the direction to tip the scales toward thanks. Stop and give thanks. Because practicing gratitude is, doesn't stop with our words. When our hearts expand, we begin to do things. We begin to do gratitude. William Arthur Ward said, Do more than belong, participate. Do more than care, help. Do more than believe, practice. Do more than be fair, be kind. Do more than forgive, forget. Do more than dream, work. Now, we don't live in the Roman Empire. Nobody's going to persecute you or me for coming to church. 
But I think there are always some of these little Caesars in our lives that misdirect our gratitude and that can get us off the railing in ways where we stop growing. We stop being grateful. And all of a sudden we become a prisoner to whatever problem or challenge is coming our way. We see every fence as a boundary when our heart is saying, jump over, tip the scales, grace and love. Now, I know it's a little chilly here this morning in this sanctuary. You know, these, uh, this system at this church is beautiful, but it's kind of ancient. We have to kind of flip the winter mode so that the warm air starts coming out. And believe me, we're flipping it this week. So it'll be warmer next week. But I'm so grateful for this sanctuary in this building. It may be old. It may, may have a few leaks every now and then. But look around. I remind you that this sanctuary we're worshiping in was built in 1929. The old sanctuary had burned down the year before. Burned to the ground. And 364 days later, this building was completed. And they put that Stained glass window in the back, back there, of Jesus. Do y'all remember what 1929 was like in your history books? That was the first year of the Great Depression. The people of St. Luke's didn't let that scare them, but continued to commit themselves to acts of love and kindness and gratitude. And I'm sure they worried a little bit about whether this thing was was, was going to fly after losing an entire building, the worst year you could be trying to recover from anything in 1929. And yet, they persisted, and they must have practiced gratitude as a form of resistance to complacency, or we're just a bunch of victims. No, we're not. We're going to build this, because one day, one day, almost 100 years later, we dream of people who will be worshiping here and thanking God and being grateful for health, for love, for life, for Jesus Christ, and a faith that carries us on. Sometimes gratitude can even be dangerous in a world of cynics, but it is always beautiful like this sanctuary. It's a superpower of this church. Give thanks to God over all. And see for yourself how gratitude can tip the scales no matter what we're facing. We owe it to God. But what a gift it is. Practice gratitude. Let us pray. Lord God, give us grateful hearts. Help us to be thankful. Not because you're vain or that you need it. But because we know and you know that we are most alive when we say thank you, thank you, thank you. So thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite us.